Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, pre-recording from the home bunker. Folks, I'm very excited to bring to you, um, I guess, in the closure of our coverage of Imagine 2200, where we have, you have now heard um, from three different people. First, the uh, the founder, Tori Stevens, that we interviewed uh, a couple of weeks ago. And now um, you will hear from next, Gina McGuire. I have enjoyed so, so much these conversations with these amazing, brilliant fiction writers in thinking about how they are reimagining our world and our climate future. Imagine 2200 Fix Climate Fiction Contest recognizes stories that envision the next 180 years of equitable climate progress, imagining intersectional worlds of abundance, adaptation, reform, and hope. I've really enjoyed reading these stories and interviewing the writers who have such a clear understanding of the climate crisis that we are in, but the possibilities um, that we have. I think oftentimes when we are locked in to a cycle of grief, of sadness, of rage, anger, and look, all things absolutely rightfully call for those emotions. But then I want to present to you all the other side of that, the yin to the yang, if you will, which is we cannot imagine a better world, a better future, not for ourselves necessarily because we may not see it, but for the generations that will come behind us if we are locked into a place of rage and grief. That is a scarcity mindset. And in order to think bigger and greater and innovate and create, we must 
do so from a place of abundance. And the only way that you get there is by rest, right? Is by rest, is by relaxation, is by tending to ourselves and what it is that we actually can control. Because here's the thing, friends, if, if there is nothing else that you've realized over the last three years of living inside of a global health pandemic and the meltdown of our democracy is that everything outside of us, we don't really have control over. We vote, we march, we give money if we can, we volunteer and we give our times. But then after that, we must put it down, put the weight down, right? And do things that are nurturing, that are wholesome, that feel good for ourselves and those that we love around us. We can't marinate in despair and think that through that somehow by being committed to grief and misery, that change is going to happen. Rest is part of the resistance. Imagination, creativity, love, joy is part of the resistance. Because when you think about what the opposition wants, they want cruelty. They want devastation. They want oppression. We don't have to give it to them. So what I love about this story series and this, this contest was taking something that is so huge of a problem, so huge of an obstacle in our lives, which is climate change, and not just being focused on our impending doom, but imagining what happens when the systems that we believe that could never fall do. What can come in its place, right? I think about the phoenix rising from the ashes. I think about a lotus flower pulling itself through mud. I think about, you know, how sometimes breakdowns make room for a breakthrough. And that what is required in this moment is a shift in perspective, is a shift in how we decide to take information in and what we decide to do with it. Because each of us are powerful, right? Each of us are powerful in, in our own ways. And the thing that we are able to control is how we show up, right? In all of the moments of our lives. I want to give you um, an example and tell you a, a little anecdote. The other day, one of my, uh, one of my friends uh, received bad news that she had, um, seriously broken, uh, fractured her foot, broken it. And she had been walking on it and, you know, there had been swelling, but she thought it was from a prior injury and not that she had had a new one. So she goes to the doctor, they do an x-ray and lo and behold, yes, it's broken and it is a bad break. And all that is playing through her mind is the fact that she has finally been back in a workout plan, back feeling good about moving her body and really like excited, right? And proud of herself about, you know, the moves that she's making. And as she sat in the doctor's office, she burst into tears because all she could think about 
was that all of the progress that she had made and the way that she was feeling good was now gone because she was going to be immobile. She couldn't, even with a walking boot, the doctor's like, the break is really bad and we need you to not walk at all for the next two weeks. And then we can assess whether or not you need surgery. So as she's relaying this to me, I hear the pain in her voice. And if you all remember earlier, you know, at the beginning of summer, I broke my toe, shattered it in two places. Most people that break a toe are in a boot for four to six weeks. I was in one for 10, the entirety of the summer. And then when I finally did get it off, I would get COVID the month later. So it was quite a shit summer. So I understood her angst and the pain that she was going through, but I offered this. I said, you know, I recognize how upsetting this is. I know that you have been really excited about all the work that you've been doing, all the work you've been putting into your fitness, and I'm really proud of you. But I want to offer something. Maybe you get with your trainer and you do some chair workouts. Maybe you, you know, go on YouTube and you see what kind of seated fitness you can be doing, seated Pilates, seated yoga. You know, I told her that when I started to get really like frustrated with the fact that this boot was not coming off of my own foot, I started to do seated shadow boxing because it just made me feel better to just work up a little bit of a sweat. So today... I received a text from my friend that said, my trainer and I did a really amazing seated workout today. Thank you so much for reminding me not to quit and to just adjust. And that's the thing that, that's the message, honestly, that I'm carrying for the end of this year and for the rest of my life, frankly. Quitting should never be an option, not quitting on our democracy, not quitting on our planet, not quitting on ourselves. We just need to adjust. We need to adjust our perspective, open up our hearts and adjust, you know, our mindset and our ability to expand our thought and our way of being. And when we do so, things don't seem so bad. You can take them in pieces. And so I think that the beauty of this series, Imagine 2200, offers us real insight through creativity, through fiction, the ways in which we can create a better and more symbiotic relationship with the planet, with the animals, with the air, with the water, you know, with the land, and that it doesn't have to be a zero-sum probability. So coming up next, Friends, my conversation with Gina McGuire about her story, By the Skin of Your Teeth. Amid the sharks and the waves of Hawaii, two people discover something important about themselves and each other. Folks, I am very excited to welcome to Woke AF Daily for the very first time. We have been in conversation, folks, with some of the finalists in 
the Imagine 2200 uh, fixes climate fiction contest, uh, which recognizes stories that envision the next 180 years of equitable climate progress, imagining intersectional worlds of abundance, adaptation, reform, and hope. And today I'm very excited to be with the second place winner, Gina McGuire, whose story is entitled By the Skin of Your Teeth. Amid the sharks and waves of Hawaii, two people discover something important about themselves and each other. Gina, welcome. Uh, woke AF. Um, you know, I, I, I want folks, um, who have been listening, uh, to, to your other grist colleagues, um, to get an understanding from you first, um, about the themes surrounding your, your story and congratulations on, on, on your second place, uh, when, um, I, I, the, the story itself will be linked, uh, in the episode, in the notes so that folks can absolutely listen to this interview and then go ahead, uh, and read or listen to your piece. But can you, can you talk to us about, about the themes around your story? Yeah. So, um, I love what Grist is doing about imagining the next 100, you know, 80 years, 2200. And, um, for me, when I was, you know, when you think about climate futures, and that's like the, the basic prompt, right? It's, and um, it's often, I think, fairly bleak futures that we often yep. are envisioning, right? And so for me, um, I'm both Polish and Native Hawaiian. I grew up in Hawaii. But when I envision the future and, and I... And, you know, you, you don't have that very hopeful feeling going into it. And you're like, how, well, how do I write something that's not just dark? Um, and so when <laughs> yes. I ended up doing it, well, I, ugh, I'm thinking about, you know, indigenous peoples, about native peoples, native Hawaiian, um, a lot of Pacific Islanders. And for us, um, climate futures, I feel, aren't in the future. Like it's not, it's something that we're dealing with right now. Um, and if we think about people in Bougainville or Kiribati, um, even in Hawaii, we're seeing it. Um, and, and we have these histories of adaptation and, um, and resilience and strength. And so what I really wanted to bring forward into my, my fiction, my future is what if we change the narrative from like, from putting native people as like adapting, um, to having some kind of sovereignty over their own future. And so in this story, it's um, based in Hawaii and OEV characters. Um, and I'm not talking about political sovereignty necessarily, but having the, the decision and, and the ability to make your own decisions for your own aina uh, um, of, of land and sea, that was my hope for that story. So yeah, that's kind of, that was what drove it. And then in the midst of all of that, I bringing forward grief and unrequited love and angst and bringing that all together. Um, so trying to speak across, um, I write kind of on behalf of and for Native peoples. That's kind of my whole mm -hmm. thing, but mm -hmm. uh, trying to create characters and emotions that are speak to the human condition and are, are kind of, I don't want to say universal things that regardless of your background, hopefully you can like you feel it. So yeah, that's the story. <laughs> I, I thought that your story, um, was so beautiful. One, the, the imagery that it created, um, and, and again, folks, the story is by the skin of your teeth. Um, 
the imagery that it created of being on this beautiful, vast ocean of being a, a protector and a guardian of, of the, of the largest mammals, right? Mm -hmm. Um, there was a symbiotic nature that was being presented that I think, you know, I guess my question for you is, is, is this, is that indigenous culture and practice is something that colonizers extinguished, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, kind of in this way of I alone can fix this. And so your primitive indigenous way of thinking primitive, I use in quotation marks, we don't need. Yeah. And I think that what we are seeing and what we are living in and the reality that we're living in as, as, as the climate crisis is now here, it was impending, you know, 20 years ago, it is now literally on our shores uh, in our fields, you know, in these fires, hurricanes, tornadoes, in the warming seas. Talk to me about this this symbiotic relationship that you mm -hmm. created um, with these guardians um, and these and these waterways and how it is entwined in both the world that you were creating, but also the world that you that you live in yeah. uh, as a as a as a native. Yeah. No, that's a really beautiful question. And um, all different, I mean, indigenous culture is all very different. So I'll just talk about it from an OEV kind of standpoint. But um, this idea of kinship, and I don't even like, I work, I'm a PhD student, and I also work for the Forest Service. So I work in environmental science, and then create, I'm trying to be a creative writer, but uh, amazing. Like, <laughs> I love it. I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Trying to juggle these um, these different worlds. And, and like you just said, like, you know, I don't want to call it Western science, but often not being able to speak to or understand necessarily that uh, the way that the story ends, right, is the, o the ocean itself, the waves are kind of acknowledging the characters um, and their ask for help. And and then we have these really kin-based relationships um, and ancestral relationships with sharks in the story. So that doesn't translate very easily when we're talking about environmental science, um, but I think we need more of it and we need more dialogue between the two. Um, also just this idea, I like the word that you use, but this idea of like a symbiotic, um, relationship uh i want to say win-win but there there has to be ways right that people aren't like the bad guys in environmental science mm -hmm. and I think mm -hmm. quite often you know it's like we talk about pollution and deforestation overfishing um they're all and those are all anthropogenic har harm ships on the environment yep. um and so what i love about fiction and what i love about writing as opposed to doing maybe hardcore science is that like we can imagine these futures or um, kind of be a little bit more radical with thinking about care-based relationships and uh, what it means to have one-on-one -on -one relationships with uh, individual places and, and creatures and things like that. So yeah, I love that question. I don't know how we bring more of that into like the real world, but that's what I would love to keep writing about and see happening. You know, I, 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 it's so interesting to me because I feel like we always tend to look at the problem as being too big to be able to imagine 
um, possibilities outside of what we can see. And I think that the beauty of fiction writing, particularly around futurism, is giving a freedom um, to the reality that you exist in as a PhD student. Like, this is the reality, right? And if I had the ability to imagine something different, something greater, something uh, beyond fear, right, mm -hmm. which I think is also something that you... Um, that is talked about in, in, in your story is this, you know, what is fear? Um, and, and how fear, how fear is, is translated differently, um, among people. So I, I want to also like ask you, you know, with your main characters and this, and this, um, what becomes a love story, um, what what was it about, you know, and I try not to give too much away, yeah. but what is it about the conversation around fear and around love that you felt necessary for your piece? I love that question. Um, I think personally, <laughs> it was me, but like, um, you know, I was I have been going through unrequited love. So identifying both on the other, on the, um, our male character side of like, you know, I love this person for like forever and you don't know it. And I think that is also almost a metaphor for the, the, the sea and the land and like yep. having all of that love for us. Um, and then my female character, um, just chock full of grief and rage. And just like, I'm not, I don't give, I don't give a fuck. like, just <laughs> like, I'm not afraid of anything because I've already lost it all. And so I think, um, kind of having these two clashing kind of narratives between this hopeful romantic energy. Um, and I think that reflects some of, of my own, like hopeful romantic energy for our futures. Um, and then this, awful grief and rage um and I feel like I've been in that state for a while thinking about you know our environmental futures and so it's kind of a battle of the two um metaphorically and like big picture um and so then the coming together at the end um and the having the ocean and her her husband having passed away like picking opihi so like he him being a part of that um, and having the ancestral realm and, and the spirit realm and the ocean realm all kind of acknowledging that union of both of those energies. I think big picture is kind of telling for what we, we need both of those things going mm -hmm. forward um, in, in, in our interactions with the environment and with each other. So, yeah, I don't know if I answered that correctly. No, you did. Yeah. You, you did. In the stark reality of what we are being presented with, yeah, which is catastrophe, right? Like that is, I, I, I don't think that I'm hyperbolic to say that when every hurricane, fire, and tornado season is more historic than the last, um, that we are in a problematic zone. I don't think that it's crazy that at the time of this recording, I woke up to 72 degree temperatures in New York on November, in November. Right. And that is, and that is, that has been the norm. My, it's my birthday month and my birthday week. It has been the norm over the last 10 years. I don't remember wearing, I haven't worn a coat mm -hmm. 
or a scarf or anything on my birthday for the last several years. Wow. Because it has been roughly in the high 60s or 70s in November. So when when I say that to say that, you know, we're living at a time of great transformation. And I guess I want to get a sense from you where you live in a place that in many people's minds, right, is, is the idyllic, you know, center of beauty and of, of environmentalism and a forestry and waterfalls and rainbows and all of these things. What are, what are the sentiments, right? The, the, the lived realities, um, of a place that is both a part of and removed from mainland. And so because of being removed from mainland and situated in the sea will be the first part, you know, of the United States outside of Florida and, you know, in the key and the Southern coastal regions to be adversely affected by this great transformation that we're in. So can you give us a, a perspective or some insight into what those feelings are? Yeah. No, I love your, I mean, talking about New York being 72 degrees this morning, I'm like, oh my goodness. Um, Yeah. It's real. And yeah, I think, you know, I struggle. I go back and forth because we are removed from the mainland. We are very, we're one of the most isolated places in the world. We're surrounded by this amazing ocean, which is both kind of a climate stabilizer, but then we're also dealing with sea level rise. Um, And then when you put that like reality into com- conversation and combination with the legacies of, I don't want to say colonialism, but the legacies of Waikiki used to be a wetland. Like it used to be a marsh kind of area oh, wow. and they brought in sand. They continue to bring in sand to make this little fairy tale place for tourists, which is awesome that it's kind of con- concentrated in w- in one place. It's everywhere. But, you know, um, when you do sea level rise projections for Waikiki, it's that whole area. Um, you talk about parking structures being underwater. And so we've dramatically altered altered these island spaces in ways that are not compatible, are rigid and, and um, just not not right. And, and then we put it into combination with things like we've got some of the nations, I think, um, I don't quote me on this, but you know, uh, thousands of cesspools, um, which we don't have centralized sewage treatment, um, in a lot of places in Hawaii. So then we're thinking about our groundwater resources and sea, sea level rise in, and inundation of our groundwater. Um, and if we're talking about, you know, rainfall, a lot of people are on catchment here. So there's a lot of like decentralized wow. systems that I don't think are prepared to, to live in that future yet. And so being mm. in Hawaii and being remote, I think we have awesome opportunity. And like you said, it's kind of this ideal place. I think we are one of the people who people, states in the U.S. that are, uh, we have a carbon neutrality goal, um, trying to like start on this pathway, but yeah, it's going to be rough and there's a lot of um, legacies and histories that are going to contribute to it being a really rough transition for sure. Yeah. So it's not, it's not uh, as maybe ideal as maybe people think it is, but 
Yeah. And I think, I mean, but that, that, you know, that, that's kind of the point. And I, I'm so glad that you brought it, um, to, to the forefront because I think that oftentimes we look at these areas that, that mainland people, uh, in many countries go to visit, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And, and think like, oh, it's a respite for them from, you know, the inundation of, of city life, mainland life, you know, what have you, but we are not connecting the dots, when we're talking about climate change, when we're talking about the climate crisis to actual people and to how it is affecting actual people and how it will ultimately affect all of us. And so I wonder, like in your PhD program, um, you know, as, and, and your work with, um, with the forestry, like as you're looking at how we are dealing with these issues do you see any optimism? Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, for sure. And I think kind of going back to like the creative writing lens, but then also the forestry lens, I think for me it's about looking backwards to look forward. And so um I I am optimistic. I think, you know, the we've got some really great minds thinking together and, but I think the shift that needs to happen that hasn't happened yet, maybe, um, is I, f- I feel like it's easy to be like, Oh yeah, it's big corporations. I don't have control over it. Like it's beyond me. Um, or, you know, getting political will to make certain things happen. Like, getting the funding for a sewage treatment plant or something like that, or stopping deforestation that, all of these issues are very, can be very abstract. And even for in, like a government agency or a nonprofit that's trying to tackle these issues. And so um, thinking more on what is my kuleana, which in Hawaiian is just, you have a right, but also you have a privilege to something, but it's dependent on, on the, like hard to translate, but your responsibility. And so I think for me is kind of, each person has a kuleana to something, right? And mm, so it, that's hard mm-hmm. to do when people are working 40 hours a week and like they've got mm-hmm. their kids and bills and jobs. And But yeah, I think it's gonna have to start on a much more individual, ancestral and place-based kind of arena. And then the, the question for people like me who work in environmental science is how do we empower and make that possible for other people? But that's where I see the optimism um in climate futures but yeah Gina why do you think that it is important for contests like GRIS's fix labs contest around imagining an abundant future why do you think that that is important particularly around futurism science fiction um to imagine abundance in our in our future yeah I mean, I think it's really easy to go for the dystopian. And I think, you know, even in, in this kind of competition, we we all, myself included, kind of have some kind of dystopian future. Like we're all like, it's not, it's dark. Um, but something like Grist, where they're genuinely in the prompt saying, we need to be hopeful, we need to be creative. Let's think about how our futures can be abundant, um, abundant in not just resources or um but abundant in joy and spirit um and thinking what that looks like so i think it's super important and i think when we we need to be radical first and then 
by doing things like this, having that creative energy um, or these ideas, whether they're insane contraptions or different kind of conservation programs or companies that are um, business smart, um, or not business smart, climate energy smart. So I think once we have that radical creative like energy out there, maybe we can inspire people or there's a spark from one of them that can can lead to something tangible and, and concrete action. So I think we need the, I don't want to say the crazies, but we need the visionaries out there to come up with these creative, awesome ideas. And I am so grateful that Grist does this because it's so exciting. Like I'm still reading through everybody's stories. I haven't gotten through everybody's, but um, like Seven Sisters by um, Susan K. Quinn. I was like, I'm never going to drink a cup of tea the same way, like again, ever. <laughs> it's oh, just like, you know, I... these stories alter you. Um, and that's what good art does. So I think, um, yeah, I'm super grateful for Grist for doing it. You know, I, I think that what is really important in times of great angst uh, and, and instability is to really dive into art is mm -hmm. to really like when the present finds itself um, at a place of great friction, it is really important to get to a place of imagination. Mm -hmm. um, because I think that it's, I think it's really easy. I, I say this to my listeners all the time. I, you know, uh, vacillate between rage consistently and rest. And I think <laughs> that re that I, I do all the time and, and, and rest is where, the creativity comes. You can't create in a place of rage because it is restricting. It is it is moving from um, a place of scarcity. And I think that what I've loved about your story, what I loved about the stories of the the last few authors that we have had on, um, is I I I finish feeling abundant. I finish feeling I finish feeling really possible. So my my last question for you is is what are you hoping that folks, you know, listening to Woke AF and deciding that they want to delve into all of the amazing stories, a part of uh, Imagine 2200. But what are what are your hopes that people take away from from this kind of this kind of abundant, um, radical futurist storytelling? So many things, but um, I hope that people. I hope they do dive into the collection and read these stories and then realize that they, everybody, we each have our own story and our own contribution and our own hopes for the future. And so I think just acknowledging, like, what do you even want to see and pick, envisioning that? Cause I feel like a lot of times it's hard to look past this year or five years, but when you start pushing that timeline to 200 years, your grandchildren's grandchildren, like, you know, thinking, I hope it helps people to think long-term, big picture, both forward-looking and backward-looking, thinking about their genealogies, who they are, their stories, their kupuna, their ancestors, elders' stories, um, because there's value there. And then, and and thinking about their own, yeah, their own narratives as having value and meaning. And so I hope that's what this collection empowers. Um, and just, I hope it gives people hope because I feel like it's so easy to lose hope. Um, and yeah, I just, I hope, I hope that other people find some kind of, some thread or star that they can follow and navigate towards something big, big future yeah. um, thinking. So, yeah. Well, 
Gina, I just, I want to thank you uh, for making the time to join us on Woke AF. I want to thank you for this beautiful, for this beautiful writing. Um, and, and I hope to read more of your work, uh, well into the future because it left me uplifted. Um, folks, the story is by the skin of your teeth. Um, and it is part of Imagine 2200 Fixes, um, futurist, uh, creative writing contest. And we will link to, um, to the story, to Gina's story, uh, in the, in the notes. And Gina, thank you so much. And I hope that you'll come back having me. I appreciate it. That is it for me today, dear friends on Woke AF. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com/theshy to get a fifty percent discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July fourteenth. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.